Sorry about that. A bit of a technical issue there. This is Free Talk Live, your program, your way. 800-259-9231 is the way to reach us on this Saturday night as Free Talk Live takes over your airwaves and your computer. 800-259-9231 is the SACL CAI toll-free line. I am Gardner, filling in for Ian along with... Julia. Filling in for Mark on tonight's program. Thank you very much for joining us. We have many things to discuss. We're going to dive right into these things. Later in the program... Oh, wait till you hear this sound that we've got of Sir Lord God Bob Geldof hungry for more of your cash to go to Africa as if you didn't send enough over that was expropriated from you and it had such a good effect. But first, let's go through some of the big stories tonight, shall we, Julia, as we take over for Ian and Mark who are away, right? Yes. Great to have you here. I'm so pleased to be here. And thanks again to Ian and Mark, the gods themselves of Free Talk Live. Of course, if you have an opportunity to tune into the program, you'll hear them every day, Monday through Saturday. But they are away. Last night they were away, and tonight they are away as we get an opportunity to fill in, do the program. And, of course, we want to invite you to participate because, as Ian always says, this is your program. It's your freedom, it's your liberty, and it's your opportunity to sound off on issues we bring up or ones that you want to bring up as well. And tonight, on tonight's program, we have Julia has a list of some stories that we're going to be discussing. We'll give you quick updates on some of the big stories. What are the stories you've been looking at, Julia? Well, we've got a story about secession in Vermont. A good one. I love that. We were going to try to talk about that last night. It's an excellent one, and it has a lot of historical legs as well, because everybody seems to say that the secession the, the, the secession argument was decided by Abraham Lincoln. Yeah, okay. Well, maybe Vermont might bring the question back up. We'll see. Also, you have... A couple of corrupt cop stories. Yes, indeed. Wow, that's a surprise. Not that we want to bandy around the idea that cops are all corrupt. Certainly but not. We like to explore the idea that maybe there could be a different way, as Theodoric of York used to say on Saturday Night, Li- Saturday Night Live. Also, we have a very interesting one about patriotism and, and that thing that has stripes and blue on it. What's the story? A protester arrested for letting her 10-year-old son stomp on a flag. Can't have that. And that has some very interesting constitutional ramifications because she ran afoul of a state law. We'll tell you more about that one on Free Talk Live, 800-259-9231. I have a few stories we're going to get to. Of course, we've got that great Sir Lord Bob, Cthulhu Bob Geldof story. He's hungry for more of your cash to go to the hungry people in Africa. And this is where we'll find a distinction between... What is moral and what is legal? We'll talk about that shortly. Uh, also, the European Union has a new report that they have just released about something that, of course, we know doesn't exist because the Bush administration told us, no, no, this, no, no way. The CIA NATO prisons in Poland and Romania where interrogation did not happen. That's right. And, you know, anything that happens to have not conform to the Geneva Accords, we'll tell you about that, and we'll talk about the dynamic of why those places did exist, why people got all ticked off at the New York Times for reporting it over a year ago, and why it's important for us to make some very clear distinctions about when the United States is at war, why the United States government should be at war, and what it should be doing when it uses its military based on certain treatings that it has signed on to. 
Also, we'll have an update. In fact, let's start with this story right now. We got an update about the Ed Brown situation. Uh, you know, yesterday you gave us a great update, Julia, about Ed Brown and his wife Elaine in Plainfield, New Hampshire. I mean, they're only about an hour away from where we are in our studios here. And uh, folks have been riled up about this all around the country, and yet you're not seeing anything about it. it. At the time that he ran afoul of the law in court, it was all over Fox News. It was everywhere. But now it's the Paris Hilton dilemma. Right. You know, I mean, it just goes to show you, it's like the bread and circuses for, for the Romans. It's a really sad situation. So Ed and Elaine Brown are holed up in his place in Plainfield. They have people who have been visiting, and Ed says, and uh, you can find this, this report online and so on, Ed says that it's possible that the man that Julia mentioned last night, who is now currently he's back in New Jersey, his uh, name is Danny Riley, I think. Uh, he's in, he comes from uh, New York. Um, Ed Brown says that it's possible that Danny Riley might have saved their lives. Uh, he says that he thinks that the federal troops were coming to try to get him, possibly to kill him, and that when they ran into Mr. Riley, who was out walking his dog, he says that they might have decided not to attack that day when they found him out there. They might not have been sure about what was going on. Sure seemed like a test run to me. Yeah, definitely. definitely. Roadblocks, kicking people out of their homes. And tasering the guy. They tased the guy. He was on the ground, and they tased him. And then they brought him in, and as you reported yesterday, right, they said, if you say anything to anybody, watch it, because we're going to prosecute you. For what? Walking a dog? Insane. I'm, totally spe- I'm insane. speechless. It's, it is the strong arm of government. Now, if you want to call us about that or any other issue, feel free, because as Ian has mentioned, this is your program. It's Free Talk Live, 800-259-9231. But let's talk about another story that I think has a lot of legs and, and something that I think is very important for all of us. I want to talk a little bit about a story from New Hampshire that is probably mirrored in so many other places, Julia. The story of what we're fighting in the live free or die state, the free state, where so many free state project members have been coming, and they have had an effect, but we'll see whether it's been strong enough. Folks, in New Hampshire, here, we have local control of education. In fact, it is codified in our state constitution that the towns will make the decisions about hiring and firing their teachers. You can look it up at Section 1, Article 6 of the state constitution. One of the things that's been happening here since 1993 is part of a systematized attempt by the teachers' unions and special interests in academia to try to centralize decision-making and take it away from the towns. Because as anyone knows who's watched uh, collective bargaining, it's easier to negotiate for unions and to lobby in one centralized spot. They can focus all their money rather than having all these different towns. So in 1993, a town called Claremont brought suit on against the state of New Hampshire, just like it had happened in 45 other states. And they said that they had a right to a state-funded education. They brought this suit to the state Supreme Court, which could not find a right inside the state constitution because our state constitution is based on Lockean natural rights theory, which are negative rights. You have a right to be left alone by me. I have a right to be left alone by you. We form governments to stop us from messing with each other, and that's it. So positivism or positive rights, in, in inferring something that you have a right to the services of someone else, 
are not something that are inherently written in our state constitution. So the state could not find, the state Supreme Court could not find in 1993 when this lawsuit was brought up, they couldn't find a right to education. So they made it up. They made up the idea that there was a right to an adequate education and that the state legislature must define what is an adequate education and tell all the towns what that is. It's funny to me, the idea of having a right to education, because... They don't see it that way. They force you to get an education. Yeah, they force you. If you don't go, your parents are in trouble. If you right. don't give up your tax money, you're in trouble. All sorts of things like that. So you have that, that facet of it. Then you've got the control aspect of it. Now, I don't, I, I don't want government involved in education in any way whatsoever because it's a, it's a cesspool. It's a mess. It, it, it caters to the lowest common denominator. It's, it's ridiculous. But one of the things that at least we have in New Hampshire, and the people who founded it recognized, was if you have small areas of control, the towns, you can have some sort of facsimile to competition. You can have competition between the towns, and people can leave if there's a bad system. It's actually one of my favorite things about the New Hampshire state constitution, and it's a pretty good state constitution, really. There's a couple of things in there that are really great. Yeah. Well, we'll talk a little bit more about that, because right now we are fighting in New Hampshire. The battle is on, not only at Ed Brown's place. I want to get your stories as well at Free Talk Live. Give us a call. We want to talk to you about... Very important topics like this one. Talk to us about the future of education. Talk to us about what you want to discuss. 800-259-9231 at Free Talk Live. Would you like to help others find Free Talk Live? You can help us advertise, market, and promote the show at amp.freetalklive.com. Consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier now for $3 a month and get some cool bonuses at amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live, your radio, the way you want it, when you want to discuss freedom. 800-259-9231 is the way to get in touch with us. Go to freetalklive.com if you want to get involved on the website, and there is so much to discover at the website. We'll tell you more details all about it, but right now, if you're near a computer, investigate it. You're going to find some great things. Tonight, Ian and Mark are not here for the second night in a row, not meaning that they are lax. Instead, they are doing work for the program, away from the program, and unfortunately, away from you, the audience. But we're relying on you. I am Gardner, and she is... Julia. And we are taking over the airwaves for the next two hours and 40 minutes. Give us a call at 800-259-9231 all across the country. We're going to be getting into some very big issues. Of course, if you want to talk about the latest about the Ed Brown situation and taxes, the IRS and all of that, we can discuss that as well. We had many things to discuss that we couldn't get to last night. And also on our list, we're talking about possible secession of Vermont. It's floating around. It's, it's something that probably won't happen, but it does lead to a really good intellectual discourse. It's an excellent thing to investigate. And we've also got stories about Sir Lord God... Bob Geldof wanting more of your cash for starving people in Africa. And he's angry at the G8 that they're not supplying enough money. We have a soundbite of him coming later. Just a little treat for you as you go about your business on a Saturday night. And we'll talk about stomping on flags and immigration coming up shortly. First, I wanted to ask you a question. Are you prepared for the day the dollar drops to zero? D2Z.org, that's D2Z.org, proposes that day is near. Go to d2z.org and learn how to survive and thrive during the U.S. dollar crisis. It is d2z, the number two, z.org, or d2z, 
if you are of the Anglo-Saxon <laughs> persuasion. D2Z.org. Julia, uh, I'm really happy those guys, Ian and Mark, asked me to fill in. It's great. I'm usually here on Mondays. And uh, I want people to uh, to pay attention just very quickly to this little story we have. Because I want people to give us a call if they've had stories like this on education, government education. This thing has mushroomed since the mid-1800s when the government started getting involved in education in a very dramatic way with the uh, progressives and all of those folks who got involved, John Dewey later in the latter half and towards the beginning of the uh, 20th century. And now today in New Hampshire, the live for your die state, we're in the midst of a crisis that has occurred in 45 other states where they have brought lawsuits to centralize the decision-making instead of decentralizing it, as if we haven't had enough problems with education, with the curve going down and down and down on SATs, despite the fact that in the mid-'90s they adjusted the SAT tests so that they would inflate the grades on a bell curve, and they allow people more time, not only quantitatively, but qualitatively, they've changed the test, and kids are still doing worse. They don't seem to get that getting government more involved, getting centralized decision-making more in, inherent in the system, that somehow that will make it worse. They don't get it, and that's what they're trying to do in New Hampshire. Yeah, it seems to me that public education is a failed experiment. It certainly is. Uh, you know, uh, Julia and I were talking about this uh, yesterday when um, when we were off the air. My father worked for the Reagan administration at the National Institute of Education in the 80s, and my dad was sort of a proto-libertarian. He had all the von Mises stuff, and Bass Chase the Law, Hayek, all these things, Milton Friedman's books, and all sorts of things like that. And uh, my dad was was sent down there specifically to try to dismantle the Department of Education, which is only it only started in the 1970s. So um, he he finally left. He had Carter holdovers breaking into his filing cabinets. Uh, the, he was supposed to have things that were sent off to Reagan for Reagan's eyes only. They would open up these envelopes, and he finally left. He's like, you know, I'm I'm wasting people's money. Uh, people's tax money is being wasted. I, mean, I can't stop this juggernaut. So he left. He, he, he came home. He retired. And I think about my father and how hard he used to try to fight against the centralizing tendency. And it is the tendency of government, government organized bureaucracies to expand. And that's what education has done. So here in the state, folks, this is, what, this is the deal. 800-259-9231. I want to start the program with this because I know Julia has some very strong thoughts about this. And school is finishing up for a lot of kids. Public school is finishing up for a lot of kids over the next week, two weeks. Here's the deal. Right now we have a governor who is taking words that the Supreme Court made up and did not even find in our state constitution to try to propose a state amendment to the Constitution to put the words in so that the state will make the decisions on education adequacy. Now, what you think is adequate and what I think is adequate are completely different things. It is a subjective term. What is an adequate education? But they want the state to define this. They haven't done a good job defining it so far. When does the state do a good job on anything? Ever. It never does. Even on defense. You've got wrenches that cost $1,000. It doesn't do a good job on anything. No. In fact, it's funny that you mention that because we have a friend here who is in the Navy, and he says that he's seen people throw tools off of the ships just so they can waste money and get more tools. It's incredible. All right. Now, I want to give you an example of the perfidy, the, the obnoxious, disgusting thought processes behind some of the people who are trying to manipulate New Hampshire. 
And this has happened if you are in the contiguous or no, if you're in the United States, because it happened in Hawaii, too. Yes. If you're in the United States, 45 states have encountered this sort of legal manipulation. And the attorneys who have been behind it ought to be ashamed of themselves. And so should the education professionals. Here's a great example of one of our esteemed state representatives who wants to place into our state constitution, which does not give a right. It doesn't. You don't give rights. It does not. It does not enumerate a right to a publicly funded education because you don't have a right to that. If you have a right to take the money from person A to pay for person B's child because you think a child, well, he can't educate himself, there's a difference between a child needing to be educated and having a right to the fruits of somebody else's labor to get that education. I need food, but I can't steal from somebody else to feed myself. Even if I'm a, even if I'm a parent and I have a child, I can't do that. It is immoral. It's, in, it's unethical. So what happens? If they can take from person A and make him work for X number of hours a day to pay for person B's child's education because the majority says so, oh, the child has a right to a publicly funded education. That's the only way that we can do it. Wink, wink. If you can do that, you're essentially enslaving that man, making him work for X number of hours a day. Why don't we just remove the middleman and make the teachers work for nothing? Enslave the teachers. We would never do that because that rips the artifice off it. That shows you what government does in order to fund what we all supposedly think is a right to an education. That's why you don't have positive rights. But these people don't get it. And the constitutionalists, so-called, in the Supreme Court of the state of New Hampshire, couldn't find a right to education, so they made it up. They said this, they looked in a different section of the Constitution other than what is actually termed the rights section. They read a clause that said the state shall cherish the interests of literature, the arts, sciences, and all public schools and seminaries. And they said, oh, that's a mandatory statement that the state has to fund education. That's one of my prob- my personal problems with the Constitution yeah. is that, first of all, somebody else wrote it a long time ago. Yeah, yeah that's, I didn't, that's a great I didn't point. agree to it. And it's supposed to you know, make us subscribe to it, right? Right. But second of all, people can just sort of interpret it their own way and make stuff up. And, hey, if there isn't an amendment, let's add an amendment. Exactly, Julia. Exactly. Okay. When we come back, I want to read you a quote from one of our great representatives here in New Hampshire and ask you if this has happened to you. And then I want to get into the immigration issue, 800-259-9231. We've got a story about immigration that will come, well, we can push it back a little bit. We want to talk about this education story. We'll return. It's Free Talk Live, your show, 800-259-9231. The SACL CAI free line for you as we talk about freedom. I am Gardner and she is Julia. And we're filling in for Ian and Mark tonight. Thank you so much for joining us on this Saturday night and taking some time to get involved with Liberty. Great to have you here and I'm really pleased to be next to this woman, Julia. Julia, good to have you, my friend. Thank you. Hey, yeah, you have something you want to mention to everybody. That's right. Pop quiz. What do Washington politics and libertarianism have in common? Very little. But the Prometheus Institute, readpi.com, is looking to change that by implementing practical and innovative solutions to today's most pressing policy issues. Visit readpi.com today. Readpi.com. Absolutely right. I hope people will check out the Prometheus Institute. Uh, Now, we were discussing before the break something that I think is very key, education. And... The 
fallacy under which many people operate nowadays that you just can't get education unless the government handles it. Right. Uh, strangely enough, the the roles of homeschoolers have been rising the more the government has been spending and the homeschoolers have been performing better and better, and the government schoolers are performing worse and worse. And right now, home, there's all kinds of homeschooling regulations. So imagine how much better it would be if they didn't have to answer to the government. Absolutely right. And it goes from the federal government all the way down with this No Child Left Behind Ugh. thing and Goals 2000 before that. And, and here in New Hampshire, as I was mentioning, there is a systematic effort underway, everybody, to try to centralize decision-making. It happened in Texas, where they brought lawsuits. It happened in New Jersey, where they brought lawsuits. Connecticut, Vermont, New York. Uh, let me see, where else? Hawaii, Kentucky, South Carolina. They bring these lawsuits saying that there's a right to education. As we mentioned before, there is no right to anything. You don't have a right to anything. That means you have a right to take something from someone else. That means you have a right to enslave someone. You don't have a right to do that. Otherwise, there is no individualism. There's no individuality, and you have no control over your own life. It just depends on what the majority wants. And right. I, I find that repulsive. And I also find repulsive what's happening in New Hampshire. As many free staters come to New Hampshire, and you have stories in your states as well, I'm sure, at 800 259 as we uh, prepare to talk about some of those other stories that are coming up, this one really has been sticking in my craw. As we were, we were thinking about the Browns earlier today here in New Hampshire, and I thought, you know, there's another story that's coming up in New Hampshire that needs national recognition because we are one of the last states not to centralize decision-making in our state capital and have all the politicians up there decide for all the towns what's going to happen. And it really steams me to see what's going on. Our governor, the Democrat, John Lynch, oh, golly gee, I'm John Lynch. He's such a cutie guy. Ugh. He thinks he's such a sweetheart, and he's so deceptive. This guy is trying to write into our state constitution wording that the Supreme Court made up, saying that there's a right to a so-called adequate education in our state constitution. What is an adequate education? You know that the people who founded this state were smart enough to realize that that term is subjective. And the state, there's no possible way that anybody can codify what is a subjective term. You cannot do it. They weren't so stupid as to think that the legislators who get elected to our state representative body can tell everybody in every town, this is adequate. That's not adequate. Okay? But listen to this. And this puts the lie in everything. This is a woman named Maggie Smith. She's a representative. And she was in the House majority on Thursday or Wednesday when I was in the State House. And she is in favor of John Lynch's amendment to put into the Constitution what the Supreme Court made up and is not there. There is no term adequate education in the State Constitution. The words aren't even there. But she said, no matter what, the question is clear. The state has a responsibility to define an adequate education, semicolon. That is not in the Constitution now. So she wants an amendment, and she herself is acknowledging, without even knowing what she's saying, acknowledging that the Supreme Court of the state of New Hampshire did something that is wrong. They put something in in their rulings that is not in the state constitution. She's saying it. It is not in the constitution now. And yet she says, the question is clear. The state has a responsibility to define an adequate education. Hey, well, if it gets some more votes, you know. How can the state have a responsibility to define an adequate education if it's not written in the state constitution that tells you what the state is supposed to do? 
She acknowledges it's not in the Constitution, and then she says, but we have a responsibility, clearly. Oh, really, Maggie? How is that clear? I'd like to know. Good luck getting a hold of her to ask her those questions. Certainly the two clauses in her sentence, the primary and subordinate clauses, seem a little contradictory. What's happening in your state? 800-259-9231. Let's go to the phones right now and talk to Matt, who's an amper. Matt, where are you, buddy? Hey, I'm in Illinois. Illinois, yeah, that's right. You talked to us last night. Thanks a lot for calling in to Free Talk Live, man. appreciate it. Yeah, I got a, I got a little story for you on education yeah. that happened to me a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, if people listening have heard the story, forgive me, I don't remember saying, telling it on the air, but I'll tell it to you guys because you're talking about education. Uh, when I was in high school, we had an introduction to education to uh, being a teacher course. Yeah. So I decided to take it because my father was a teacher. I was about 18 years old, and I got assigned to a fourth-grade class. And there was a little boy in the class who was having problems learning division. Mm-hmm. So he brought up the book and showed it to me, and I'm pretty good at math. And I looked at this book, and they were trying to teach him some screwed-up way to do division. Oh yeah. I had never seen that before. I looked at that, and I said, what is this? I said, here, look, this is how I learned division. That's right. And I showed him, and I showed him the old way to do math, how we used to do it, and I could do it in my head pretty good. And his eyes lit up. Yeah, you know All when you get that connection. he understood, yeah. And he went and he took a test, yeah. got all the questions on the test right, got all the answers right, but the teacher had to mark them wrong, and she came up to me, and I got in big trouble teaching him the wow. wrong way to do it. That is ex- exactly what I, where I thought your story was going. I actually went to be a, to a, I went to school to be a teacher, and I left after spending some time student teaching because I just couldn't stand, couldn't believe what I saw. Yeah. But I, knew, I figured your story was going to end that way because that's what centralization of education is like. There's all these rules, and you're not allowed to teach outside their methods. You have to teach their way. Hey, Matt, uh, I'm sure you're familiar with John Taylor Gatto's uh, under the, uh, story, the underground story of American education, right? Have you uh, no, okay. never heard of it, but... John Taylor Gatto, G-A-T-T-O, uh, was named a Teacher of the Year in, I think it was New York and New Jersey. Yeah, New York. Back in the uh, late 80s, early 90s, something right. like that. And then he wrote this book, this massive, massive book. It's a big green book, uh, like oversized book, like a table, bo- table uh, coffee table size book that exposes the history of education that brought you to exactly where you were with that stupid creative math division crap. And he based a lot of it, and Julia and I were talking about this earlier, he based a lot of his work on the work of a man named Sam Blumenfeld, who my, whom my father met when he was in Washington trying to dismantle the education department, and who is a friend of mine now, he's I think 81 or 82, Sam Blumenfeld, and he wrote back in the 70s a book called The New Illiterates and How to Stop Your Child from Becoming One, and he predicted that with the way that they were teaching kids how to read, which was not phonetically based anymore, but the look-say method where you see a word and you're supposed to guess it, he said kids are going to be diagnosed with all sorts of learning problems. They're just not taught how to read. He takes kids who are diagnosed dyslexic and starts to teach them phonics, breaking the word up into syllables. And all of a sudden, just like you, he sees their eyes light up. 
I was in a bookstore one time. Real quick, I'll tell you. This older woman came in, and she has her six-and-a-half-year-old grandson. And she says, are there any books here about sharks? And I said, oh, yeah, there's some over here. And, and she says, oh, well, those are really high for him. Uh, I was like, well, he's on a first- or second-grade level, right? And she goes, no, he's on a three-and-a-half-year-old level. And I say, well, hold on. So I wrote the word doctor on a piece of paper. I say, hey, buddy, can you tell me what that word is? He said dinosaur because he was guessing. Uh-huh. Uh, listen, man, I know we got to run, but thanks so much. And thanks so much for being an amper as well. Great call, buddy. We will return. We'll talk more about this with Nina from California. Stay on the line. It is Free Talk Live. It's your show. Get involved. 800-259-9231. I'm Gardner. She's Julia. And we're filling in for Ian and Mark tonight on Free Talk Live. Our archives, website, and podcast will continue to stay free, but if you think other people deserve to hear this show, consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier for just $3 a month at amp.freetalklive.com. Help free some minds. Visit amp.freetalklive.com. Rolling along the program, 800-259-9231. You heard the numbers. Participate at your convenience, at your will. Free Talk Live, freetalklive.com as well. And uh, tonight's program is being brought to you by the First Amendment of the United States Constitution. Thank goodness. And, uh, gee, we'll see what happens with that fairness doctrine thing and see if that thing infringes on it. 800-259-9231. Call us while you still have an opportunity. I am Gardner. And Julia. And we are filling in for Ian and Mark, and I'm really glad that we're here. Okay, we're talking about government education, whether it's from the federal government on down or your locality. And I want to get to the phones, and then we've got a special guest to talk to us about a new book that he has written that talks uh, pretty in-depth about just how the government is screwing up education. Let's go to California right now. Nina is on the line. Hi, Nina. Welcome to Free Talk Live. How are you? Nina going once. Nina going twice. Hi, Nina. You there? Yeah, here I am. Hey, go for it. What do you want to tell us, my friend? Okay, well, a couple of things. Um, I used to work in education for the state of California. I worked for a, a, a pretty pretty major university here. And um, i got to tell you, centralizing decision-making is probably the worst things that could ever happen for two reasons. First of all, um, I, I was in higher education. There's no way, it's practically impossible to fire someone, whether they be yeah. a teacher or a staff member, once they get what they call tenure. Mm-hmm. Isn't, isn't tenure state, two years in California? Well, they changed it. Um, um, it was five years for staff, and um, they're trying to change it for, for um, you know, professors and stuff, and I'm not sure if that really went through. I got out of the, the education system about ten years ago. I just got so disgusted with the waste and the ridiculous way they have of just, you know, conducting business is just absurd. Mm. But the other thing uh, pertaining to, to uh, like, you know, grade school and high school education is, I don't know if anyone realizes this, but, um, you know, when I was a kid, they had a testing system, nationwide testing system. Um, when, I, when I was at then there's about half a different ones that they can give you. The ones that I took as a child were called the Iowa test. And those were where uh, students across the nation would take the same test, and you could compare how states were doing to each other in relation to each other. Yeah. Well, they've eliminated that now. So there is no methodology, really, for us to compare how one system of education in one state is doing as compared to another system of education in another state. Mm. And I think this is part of 
the, you know, centralization of education where they don't care, they're going to teach everybody the same thing all across the board, across the whole nation, and, and they're, they're not worried about whether one method is, is better than the other. But what, what's that done is if you compare our national scores with scores of other nations in the world, yeah. we've consistently gotten lower and lower and lower. And so yep. it's like... It's absurd. It's, you know? a, it's, it's, a, it's like there's a reciprocal relationship between the amount of money you put into the system and the product that you get out of it in government education, Nina. It's, it's just terrible. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's really awful. You know, the historical perspective that you, that you have on it, I think, is, is really important. And I'll remind you, uh, check out the works of Sam Blumenfeld, John Taylor Gatto, and others. And, and thank you so much for the call, Nina. Anything else you want to mention? No, that's it. Oh, terrific Good luck. Call. I'm glad you guys are talking about this. Thank you. Thank you very much, Nina. And, you know, I mentioned uh, checking out the works of uh, people like Sam Blumenfeld, John Taylor Gatto. I want to refer you to a new book that is out and welcome the author of it right now to Free Talk Live. The book is Feds in the Classroom, How Big Government Corrupts, Cripples, and Compromises American Education. Remember it, Feds in the Classroom, and the author is named Neil McCluskey. And if you're not familiar with the name, Neil McCluskey is the author of other books, and uh, he is with us right now on Free Talk Live. Neil, thank you very much for joining us on uh, a very busy day for you. I really appreciate it. How are you, sir? All right. How are you? Oh, I'm doing very well. Neil, uh, Feds in the Classroom, I know that uh, you've written uh, in, in, past, in the past about a big government uh, getting in the way of traditional American, uh, American mores and values, whether it be the family and other writing that you've done, or uh, just on education, and I, I know that you must be uh, really tuned into some of the complaints that people have, whether it's us here in the state of New Hampshire and they're trying to centralize things in our state house right now, or it's with this complaints the, the complaints about no child left behind. The more government gets involved with education, the worse it seems to get, isn't it? Yeah, well, that's, uh, I mean, ultimately the problem is the more government gets involved, the more centralized it gets at higher levels of government. So it used to be uh, at your local district, and then districts got bigger, and then states took over, and now it's really the federal government's knocking on the door of complete control. Yeah. As you do that, can, any kind of control parents might have, the people that education's really supposed to serve, the parents and children, further away it gets from the less control they have. And the more control, special interests, who are the ones who spend all the time doing the lobbying and the PR work, things like that, to get more money and actually lower standards, the more power they have. So uh, our education has gotten more and more uh, bureaucratic, hidebound, and less effective because there's no pressure to make it work. All the pressure is just to put more money into it and then otherwise leave it alone because parents don't have any real ability, any power to influence the system. It is very frustrating, Neil McCluskey, and I know that in Feds in the Classroom, you go in-depth uh, a great deal uh, in the history of this, especially in the last uh, 20, 30 years, as there are, there are about uh, almost 50 million public school kids in the United States right now, and I was reading a statistic somewhere that there are like 15,000 public school districts, and people seem to think that if people can't handle it on the local level, somehow, I mean, it's almost a platonic, a platonic absurdity, you know, who watches the watchers. <laughs> somehow, if we're incapable of handling our own education systems on a local level, the federal government will be able to do so, and yet the federal government is composed of people who are voting and the people who can't handle themselves, supposedly. So <laughs> it's, it's this, you know, reductio ad absurdum. It's just, uh, it's an absurdity that you run into, and I, I would love to see some of the things that you've observed as you've written in Feds in the Classroom, your, your new book. Um, Neil McCluskey, what have you seen 
when you've looked at the situation for education now, no child left behind, more government funding, more complaints, uh, what are some of the major things you've noticed? Mm-hmm. Well, you're right in that it's pretty absurd that when people haven't been happy with their local government control and then they said, well, state, you better take over because my local district isn't doing well. And now people say the states aren't working, uh, so they're having the federal government take over. And so what that's given you is the no child left behind. But the problem with all those levels of government is their government. And government is going to tend to work for the people who do all the lobbying and have the money to spend on PR, which is the teacher unions, the administrator associations, all the people employed by public schooling. So none of those levels can can effectively change education because they're all top-down and they're all political control. Unfortunately, the federal government is the worst because it's so distant. Mm -hmm. And if you're not happy, at least with your state education system, you could potentially go to another state. Right. right. Um, Once you hit federal control, you can't. And you get something like the No Child Left Behind Act, which is the federal government, mainly George Bush, but along with the Democrats, said, you know, we're not happy with what states are doing, so we're going to make them have rigorous standards and tests. So they told every state, if you want your billions of dollars, you have to have state tests and standards and math, reading, and science. You have to have all groups or all students and then subgroups reach something called proficiency by 2014 in math and reading and and a bunch of and you have to have yearly progress toward that goal 2014 so, that just shows how slow they are <laughs> well it's just another i'd say five-year plan but that's really a 12-year plan but right. you get the idea well, um, you know. but yeah you know that's only a whole i don't know a few million kids, kids that are exactly. just gonna get nothing but yeah. um the 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 really sad part about no child left behind is because it's political and it's it's a compromise which all political solutions are the federal government is saying well we're going to make everyone have high standards but because people still believe in local control the states are setting the standards defining proficiency all this stuff and so they're actually pushing the standards down across the country uh, so that states and school districts don't end up looking bad. And so in the name of high standards and to make politicians in Washington look good, all the public schools uh, from the states down are lowering their standards. And, of course, the kids end up losing again. We're speaking with Neil McCluskey, who is the author of a new book, and I highly recommend it. It is Feds in the Classroom, How Big Government Corrupts, Cripples, and Compromises American Education, part of a lineage that goes back some 30 years to people who were sounding the alarm of more centralized government decision-making in education. And it, it really strikes against the fallacy, I think, Neil, that we have always had government education here. Until the mid-1800s, we didn't have government education. I'm sure in your research you saw that they had the, um, the thing called the uh, Bullfinch study. In 1812, it showed in Massachusetts that most of the kids were educated privately, and the literacy rate was as high then as it it is now. And the qualitative uh, part of that, they were probably more on the ball. Neil, can you stay with us into the next hour, or do you have to fly? Well, I can stick around. Great. We've got a lot of people who are on the line. They'd like to talk to you. The phone is like a flaming kebab right now. It's Free Talk Live. Neil McCluskey, Gardner Goldsmith, and Julia will return after Top of the Hour News. Keep us in mind. Keep us on your dial. It's Free Talk Live. Hour 
hour number two of Free Talk Live is upon us at 800-259-9231. It's the SACL CAI toll-free line to reach us at Free Talk Live. Go to freetalklive.com. You can see everything that Ian and Mark do online as well. Monday through Saturday from 7 to 10 p.m. You can get in touch with them and make it your program. Tonight, it is partially our program as well. I'm Gardner and she's... Julia. And we're filling in for Ian and Mark tonight. And with us, continuing after our first hour in the conversation about education and the government messing it up is the author of the new book feds in the classroom how big government corrupts cripples and compromises american education it's called feds in the classroom remember it his name is neil mccluskey neil thank you for staying with us i appreciate it very much oh i'm glad to be on it's a great pleasure you know neil um Julie and I were speaking off the air a little bit about our various experiences in government schools. I was in New Hampshire, and she was not. And uh, it's amazing to think about the problems kid, kids have in government education and how people don't acknowledge or recognize the fact that this top-down mentality doesn't help. And uh, I'd like to get some thoughts from you as to what inspired you to write this book, and then we'll go direct to the phones because there are a lot of folks who really want to talk to you, Neil. Well, the the first inspiration was I did a policy analysis for the Cato Institute where I worked, where, where I I agree, yeah. uh, where I actually the 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 president always wanted to know where all the money spent by the federal government supposedly on education goes. So I I wrote uh, an analysis on that, and as I was writing it, I thought, well, it'd be good to give just some basic history of how we got to where we are in federal involvement, then try and track the money, but also see, well, here's what we're spending money on as far as we can tell. And one thing I learned is it's very difficult to know how much money is really going to what. But um, I started to look at the, all the different bizarre programs and things that we were paying for. And so I also added a little bit on, uh, you know, what's the federal government supposed to be able to do in education? Of course, mm. that was easy, which is nothing, because the words education, schooling, nowhere in the Constitution, not one of the enumerated what powers. What a shocker. Isn't that amazing? It's surprising. Although, actually, if you were to say that, to the average person in Washington D.C., they would be shocked. Yeah, they and don't know. They get mad. You know, I I I just have such contempt for those kinds of people, Neil. You know, they they swear an oath to uphold the document, the document that gives them their seats in office, and then they have the audacity to say that somehow in invisible ink, education is not only written there. I don't know where, but maybe it's somewhere in between the interstate commerce clause phrasing that they mis- misinterpret all the time. But it's just absurd. It's so absurd. And then to say that, well, you know, it's a broken system now, uh, but we'll be able to fix it. Uh, it's just ridiculous. It doesn't matter what what party is in office, it seems. It just seems to get worse. Well, the real tragedy is, well... For one thing, a bad indicator of Congress is everybody says Robert Byrd's the guy who best understands the Constitution, so you know that's <laughs> yeah, a problem. Yeah. Um, but uh, even conservatives, many conservatives, uh, they've sort of given up on on fighting the Department of Education's existence and the federal involvement. And now they are actually, many of them, leading the charge to say, well, we just have to have national standards. And essentially what that means is complete federal control of education. And they act as if, in fact, they say to me, well, fine, you don't want the federal government involved, but states haven't been doing a good job. And, and they're right, but they seem to act as if 
politicians at the state are inherently selfish and bad, but somehow if they're in Washington, they're inherently unselfish and good, and it makes absolutely no sense. But they just ignore political reality. Absolutely. Our guest is Neil McCluskey. Neil is the author of Feds in the Classroom, a new book that's just been released, and I I highly recommend that you put it on your shelf. Let's go to the phones right now on Free Talk Live. Bob is in Florida and would like to talk about the topic. Hi, Bob. Thank you for waiting during the break, and thank you for joining us on Free Talk Live. How are you, sir? Are you there, Bob? Uh, hey, uh, yes. Go ahead. Uh, thank you for your excellent guest. Uh, I'm very, very uh, uh, in support of everything he's saying. It's uh, I've had a, um, a, a, a run-in with the the Dade County School Board. They happen to see our website. The Dade County School Board in Florida here is probably the third largest school board district in the United States. Oh, so obviously it's got to be one of the best. <laughs> well, I mean, I wish. well, anyway, what happened is that the school board members had read our website. And they called me in the office and they said, listen, we've seen your two websites here, constitutionalguardian.com and judicialaccountability.org, mm-hmm. and we'd like to know if you'd like to do a 12-part uh, television series uh, based on your website. I said, sure, would." Mm-hmm. And they said, what would you name the series? I said, I would name it Taking Back America, The Only Way. And they said, oh, no, 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 Bob, you can't, you can't have, we can't have that. I mean, this is going to be too controversial. We're going to get ourselves in lawsuits. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, but we have to tell the truth, and if you want to tell the truth, You've got to base everything on the Federalist Papers, and that was the original documents by the Founding Fathers, James Madison, Alexander Hamilton, John Jay. And maybe add the Anti-Federalist Papers, too. That would be well, nice. Well, the Anti-Federalist Papers. Some of letters. But I said, James Madison, who was a political scientist, he was not a lawyer, warns us 250 years ago, he said, if the effective control of all three separate branches of government get under the same hands control, then we will have tyranny and oppression. And there'll be nothing in the system to correct the problem. In other words, you couldn't go to the Nazi party and say you're killing Jews. That was their purpose. You wouldn't go to the slave owners and say you're using the slaves. That was their purpose. You wouldn't go to the Ku Klux Klan you're saying you're using the blacks. That was their purpose. Nor would you go to our corrupt legal system and saying we're getting abused in the system because that's their purpose. The lawyers in this country have taken over single same-hands control and effective control of all three separate branches of government. And the system of justice in the United States is you're innocent until proven broke. Now, Bob, I assume you weren't allowed to do any of the things that they asked you to do. Believe originally. it or not, you know, it, it, this is really the funniest thing. The school board, when they said, well, we're going to have to let our lawyers read your website, and and I said, I want them to read the original Federalist Papers because they probably didn't even read it in law school. Well, <laughs> believe it or not, when they checked them, they hadn't really read them in law school, so their assignment is to read it. Six weeks later, the school board called me in, and they said, listen, the lawyers read, 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 read your website, and they said they read the original Federalist Papers, and they said, go ahead and do a 12-part series. They said, who are you going to get as your guest? I said, I have one of the top constitutional law professors in the world. His name is Albert P. Blaustein, Professor Emeritus at Rutgers University. Mm-hmm. He's worked in the Constitution of 25 different countries. He was on loan from the American government to the Russian government when they had this last revolution to make sure that people's civil rights and human rights were protected in the new Russian Constitution. Yeah. I have the former chief economist of the White House. Dr. Steve McGee, who's presently chief economist at the University of Texas in Austin. I said, he's going to help me. I said, I have the chief criminologist at the University of Albany, Georgia. So I hope they let you do it. Yes. I did 12 12 one-half-hour videos. They showed it on the school board channel. They showed it 36 times. Each tape was shown three times. There was a private educational channel in in, uh, Miami here. It's called Dynamic Cablevision. They saw the series, and they asked me, said, could we borrow the series from after the school boards run the series, and we want to put on our private educational channel, which is very wide distribution here in Dade County. So believe it or not, the, uh, they showed it, the, they, they took over the series. They showed it 84 times. Each tape was shown seven times. People started writing to the school board, and they said, listen, this is quite interesting, but this, this whole revelation, 
uh, get these guys to do another 12-part series. So they called me in and said, would you like to do uh, another series? They said, would you name it? I said, I called it Inside the Law. So again, I showed, I did uh, uh, 12 one-half-hour videos. They showed it 36 times on the school board channel. They didn't take one single solitary word out of the tapes. They showed it 84 times on the uh, uh, private educational channel, and they showed it uh, on dynamic cable. Anyway, the, the final gist was they called me again and said, listen, there, there's more, you know, uh, interest in your in your tapes. Would you like to do another? I said, well, you know, if they haven't learned enough in these, these 24 one-half-hour videos, there's something wrong. But the real bottom line is that we have got to get back to the original founding fathers. And the Federalist Papers, uh, we had a, a law, believe it or not, passed, in Tallahassee, uh, by the Silverhead Legislature, these are a group of senior. These are a lot yeah, of school yeah. teachers. Yeah, right. We're up against the clock, so Bob. They went ahead and they passed the law. And believe it or not, the uh, trial lawyers in the center, as soon as they saw the the law that says the uh, the Federalist Papers and Modern Language put put in the high schools, they shot it down with a passion. I mean, well. it's just a totally disregard for the people's rights. Their idea is keep the people dumb and stupid, give them enough Pepsi Cola, potato chips, and television. And the lawyers can keep the power they stole in the people. Well, Bob, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Read our and, websites, uh, constitutionalguardian.com, judicialaccountability.org, and please look at the book, The Federalist Papers in Modern Language, yeah. Index for Today's Political we'll Issues, you... edited by Mary Webster, the Webster All right. family. We'll let you have the plug, Bob. Thanks a lot for the call from Florida. Uh, Neil, a couple comments on that. We'll get to our next caller from New Hampshire uh, shortly after that. But uh, in looking at these things, obviously Bob had a little breakthrough there, but those things are very yeah. rare, and uh, the system just becomes more and more top-heavy as time goes along, doesn't it? Yeah, well, it actually is a little troubling to me that the Miami-Dade School District runs its own television network, which is, <laughs> yeah. has nothing to do with education, but I guess that's neither here nor there. I, I know think that... Oh, I was just going to say, Neil, I know that the commercials are coming up. Don't know if you can stay one more segment because I know you, you're a very busy man. Can you stay for another 10 minutes? Sure. Excellent. Neil McCluskey is with us. He's author of Feds in the Classroom, How Big Government Corrupts, Cripples, and Compromises American Education. We'll get to Tom in Nashua and you at 800-259-9231. One of the bonuses you'll get as a Free Talk Live amplifier is access to our classic archives. For just $3 a month, you can become an amplifier, and you'll help us get on more radio stations and MP3 players. Get the details at amp.freetalklive.com. That's amp.freetalklive.com. Live, 800-259-9231, the SACL CAI toll-free line. I'm Gardner, she is... Julia. And we're filling in for Ian and Mark, the regular hosts of the program. Call us at that toll-free line, 800-259-9231, if you want to weigh in on the topic. We're going to get right back to it on education with author Neil McCluskey, who is the author of the new book, Feds in the Classroom. First, I want to just ask you a little something if you know about the Free State Project. Well, I hope you do. The Free State Project's Porcupine Freedom Festival, better known as Porkfest, is coming up June 18th to the 24th. At Porkfest, you are going to be able to oh, do things like socialize with your friends and fellow activists and lovers of liberty. Plus, you'll be able to hear and discuss the progress and future of the Free State Project. Register today. Go to porkfest.com. That's P O R C. F-E-S-T, porkfest.com, check it out. And, of course, we know that the Free Talk Live is brought to you by the Free State Project, your only choice for more personal freedom and smaller, less intrusive government. To learn more about joining the Second American Revolution, go to freestateproject.org. That's freestateproject.org. 
Julia, let's get right back to Neil McCluskey because, uh, Neil, I know that you've had a very busy day today, and I appreciate you joining us the way you have. Uh, let's talk a little bit more about Feds in the Classroom. When people pick up the book, the new book that's out there, they can go to Amazon.com. And, of course, if they do, uh, we recommend that they go through Amazon.FreeTalkLive.com. Uh, they're going to get a lot of what's been happening nowadays. What do you suggest would be a good way to get us out of this? What can we do on a state level or a national level to try to break this top-down, centralized uh, thought process that they've got going on, Neil McCluskey? Well, unfortunately, there's no – I wish I had an easy solution. There's a, and It's easy to identify what we have to do. It's hard to get it done. Mm-hmm. But what we have to do – and this is especially important to bring a, a lot of conservatives and people who used to understand the federal government shouldn't be involved in education, mm-hmm. but have sort of given in. We have to get everybody who is concerned about the direction of education's taking to get away from the idea of, uh, first of all, national standards oh, yeah. and any federal involvement. And they have to tell the representatives and senators in Washington, the federal government should not be in education. Get out. Just you're, you, All you're doing is causing trouble. Uh, you're not helping anything. You're just wasting our money. Get out. The Constitution gives you no authority to be in there. Isn't it amazing that somehow they think that we're incapable of handling ourselves, and yet they'll take our money, shave 30% off the top, put it through mm-hmm. a bureaucratic siphon in Washington, D.C., and then get us a better product? Like, what are you talking about? It's right, insane. It makes, it makes no sense. But it doesn't. There is an objection that people have to, to when I say, and others say, get the feds out, that does make a little sense, which is they say, well, are you going to leave it to the state and local governments? They haven't done a good job. And to a large extent, they're absolutely right. State control hasn't worked very well in most places. Mm-hmm. And, and very often, local control is a failure because ultimately, no matter which level of government is in charge, the people who are supposed to be served by the schools, the parents and the children, have no power when all the authority and all the power is in government. Yeah. So what we need people to do after they tell their federal representatives to get the federal government out is demand at the state level that they have school choice. And that the, the best way, easiest way to do that is through vouchers or even better through tax credits, but say that parents should be able to either get the money that's going to public schools or just hold on to their tax money so that they can pay for the schools or the homeschooling or the educational options that work best for them. Yeah. In other words, give them the power of consumers, and then they can they can Im- have real accountability in education. But if we leave it at any level of government, ultimately the uh, power will rest with politicians and bureaucrats and special interests and will not work for the parents and the kids. And so we've got to have school choice. And this has a real effect. This is not some sort of abstract discussion in a classroom. These are kids who are having their lives affected. They're being diagnosed dyslexic when they haven't been taught phonics and all sorts of things, and they should have an opportunity to live their lives and be successful. And yet the school system that's supposedly set up to help them is perpetuating ignorance and sloth with teachers and and unfortunately not teaching kids well. Let's go that call in Nashua. Tom is on the line in Nashua. Tom, you're on Free Talk Live with our guest Neil McCluskey, author of the new book, Feds in the Classroom. Hi, Tom. Let me point out also that if the schools are perceived as being better in suburbia townships than they are in the city, then this motivates people to want to put their kids in the suburbia township schools, and therefore they have to acquire a legal residence in that town, within the town's limits, so that they can qualify, and then they have to commute to the city, which does not improve the quality of life 
Furthermore, when suburbia townships uh, authorities start saying, hey, people want to put in a, a trailer park, we won't collect enough in property taxes for that. We're going to use zoning regulations to prevent the construction of residences in order to prevent people from acquiring a legal residence within the town limits so they won't be able to enroll their children. The idea is that people will have to buy a $200,000 house within the town limits in order to put their kids in the school so that the town can tax it. Let me put that in analogy for a moment. Imagine if they wanted to collect $6,000 a year from you for putting your kids through the schools, so they made you buy $75,000 worth of hamburgers at 8% meals tax <laughs> equals $6,000. Okay, well, Making um, people buy all this real estate so the town can tax it is an absurd way, and then, of course, Dad and Mom have to commute to the city and pay for that, and it's causing traffic jams and traffic Thomas, collisions. I'm sure you're familiar with the term little leviathan, and thank you for the call. I'm sure you're familiar with the term little leviathan, and at least it's little. Uh, when you have the larger areas of control, it's it's just impossible to get away from the tentacles of the beast. And I think, uh, Neil, you bring up an excellent point, and of course it's debated among libertarian circles uh, for school choice and vouchers and things like that, but at least tax breaks would be a terrific terrific way to, to start. Julia, what did you want to say? Well, I was going to say it's interesting that he brought up the zoning issue because that's, that's another, and there are so many yeah. problems with the government school. It mm-hmm. just cannot be discussed in a three-hour time span. <laughs> you need a symposium. But I don't know if anybody out there saw John Stossel's special, Stupid in America. Mm-hmm. If you haven't, I recommend that you go see it. It's very good. Yeah. I'm sure you can find it online. Yeah. But there was a section about parents who wanted to get their kids in certain schools and they actually so they were lying about residents they actually had sort of a school police some jerk walking around and yeah, looking in people's and houses and see what they're going home yeah he yeah. was going through their houses to see if there was children's rooms in there and all sorts of nonsense it's incredible neil uh, in working on this book feds in the classroom um you must have seen some some very sad examples of how the school system has failed people haven't you well, yeah, I mean, if you think about it, that's a, even if we think everybody is well-intentioned, it just it's totally illogical to think that a, an efficient way to deliver education is through a single system because we know that kids span a wide variety of abilities, talents, interests, all sorts of things. And so the best you could ever get from a single system is maybe something that is geared toward sort of the average kid and everyone else is lucky to get anything that works for them. And and that's really the main problem in, or one of the main problems in public education. And I have lots of examples in the book of, you know, kids who, who aren't having their academic needs met, but also people who aren't having their moral desires met, who are, who feel essentially under siege by their public schools because they're different from the other people in their town or no. their state. And so it just can't work. And all effectively. Neil McCluskey, thank you so much for joining us on Free Talk Live. The book is Feds in the Classroom. Neil, all the best to you and your family. Continuing on Free Talk Live, the toll-free number, 800-259-9231. It is the SACL CAI toll-free line, 800-259-9231. To get in touch with me, LG Grande, buenos tardes, buenos noches tonight. It's uh, Gardner Goldsmith, the big G. I use the Espanol. They always use their qualifiers after the noun, so it's 
LG Grande. And if you want to get in touch with me, it's LG Grande at MSN.com. You can go to uh, LibertyConspiracy.com if you want some more information about uh, what I do and uh, other things happening around with our uh, website at Liberty Conspiracy. But Free Talk Live is the place tonight, this evening. I am here along with this fine woman. Julia. And we are filling in for Ian and Mark. Julia. I was really pleased to be able to speak with Neil McCluskey. Not only is his book, Feds in the Classroom, pretty darn impressive, not only does he work for the Cato Institute, but his last name, McCluskey, is the name of a very cool band that just broke up from mostly Scotland and Northern England, and they're very, very cool. I can't say the name of their most popular song, but it has to do with lightsaber something blues. I can't say it, but it's an excellent song. So remember the name McCluskey. Check out his book. I wanted to give him a little more... uh, little more press uh, just before we move on into other topics. And also, you have something you wanted to say personally and a message to the listeners, right, Julia? That's right. You should know. Uh, SACL CAI has a full-orbed approach to account recovery. It's really three companies in one. They do collections, early out billing, and they purchase charged-off receivables. SACL knows that the way you treat your customer reflects on you. Their staff is respectful. They record every call, and they have the best equipment money can buy so that your business is handled as efficiently as possible. See their banner at freetalklive.com or call 1-800-544-6359. Do business with businesses that support FTL. Yeah, definitely. Please do. Uh, Julia, you know, you you obviously heard so much about what Neil had to say. I have my personal experiences in school where, as I mentioned to you during one of the breaks, I... I used to recognize all the time, you know, seven times, eight times out of ten, that the kids sitting next to me were inherently more intelligent and brighter than the teacher in front of us. And that didn't happen all the time. When we found a good guy, we were very happy. Um, But for you, it was even worse. Well, I think that that you're absolutely right about that. And I speak from personal experience. I went to school for two years to be a a teacher. Elementary education was my major, actually. Mm -hmm. And... I was just shocked in one of my education classes that the teacher was, and he actually was sort of the head of the education department at the college, right. he actually encouraged stupidity, laziness. I mean, there was 17 out of 20 of the kids in that class were only there because they wanted a 9-to-5 job and summers off. And it was very obvious, and he just sort of had this, it's okay, thanks for trying attitude. And I was just shocked. An A for trying. Yeah, A for trying. Way to go. Well, you know, it's like earlier when we were talking with uh, Matt earlier, who's an amper, and we'll tell you about the amp program a little bit later, everybody, if you're not familiar with it. But um, if you're a regular listener, you obviously you know it was so, so many people have experienced what he experienced as a guy who went in doing some, some teaching, and he saw a kid who was having problems with division. So he went and showed him, and he's like, well, you're being taught in a bizarre way how to do, what the heck is this? So he taught him how to do division properly. And then the teacher ended up having to mark the kid wrong on all the answers, even though the answers were correct because he didn't do it in their stupid inventive math process. Actually, I remember that a lot now that I think about it. It was always, well, you didn't show your work, so you don't get credit for it. But if I am smart enough to just know the answer or (laughs) figure it out another way... I guess they're they're implying they that you're kids, cheating. So you think you're cheating? Yeah, it's it's it, it's what a mess. So uh, remember the book, everybody. It is Feds in the Classroom. Neil McCluskey. Uh, it's it's uh, released by Spence Publishing, which does a lot of conservative and and sometimes libertarian books. I think they have a lot of uh, David Horowitz's books over there. He's a very conservative guy. Yeah, and you know what's really a shame about it is what that does is turn kids off from learning at an early age. Yeah. 
had the kid never come across this student teacher who, you know what I mean? He he probably was totally uninterested in school at, in fourth grade. Absolutely. And you know, you're destroying lives. These people are destroying people. I feel like Captain, like William Shatner, you're destroying lives. Spock, we've got to stop this. I mean, or Jerry Seinfeld. Who are these people? They're destroying people's lives. What's going on? Um, anyway, all right, uh, 800-259-9231 is the way to reach us. Now, Julie, Julie, you had an interesting topic that you wanted to bring up, and, and uh, I, I, you have, actually have a number of interesting topics, but there was one that really ticked me off about this woman in the flag. And why don't you tell everybody about this thing, because uh, you've been reading about it. You read it to me, but you've got your mind right on it. I have a couple thoughts. I just can't wait to dig into this thing. Yeah, this this article definitely has a couple of issues in it. Yeah. It's out of Omaha, Nebraska. A member of the Kansas group that has drawn criticism for protesting at soldiers' funerals has been arrested for letting her 10-year-old son stomp on a U.S. flag during a demonstration. She promised Wednesday to challenge the state flag desecration law in court. Shirley Phelps, age 49, will be charged with flag mutilation, disturbing the peace, and contributing to the delinquency of a minor, says the state attorney, blah, blah, blah. We can't, we can't allow the mutilation of the flag in any way for anybody who might be dissatisfied with what the United States government is doing nowadays, can we? No. You know, that reminds me. There's this gentleman who comes into my work all the time, yeah. and he's a, just a cutest little old man, and he yeah. wears a, um, an old belt from the Civil War, and it's a, U, a big U.S. It just says U.S., and he always wears it upside down. Oh, yeah. wow. That is, that's something else. Well, the people that are against flag stomping and stuff are probably also against that sort of thing. Uh, you know, it, it's this is a difficult issue, Julia, obviously, because so many people serve the United States military. They have friends or neighbors who have been in the U.S. military, relatives who have been in the military, and uh, many people assume that they're very patriotic people, and they don't like the symbol of the United States being at all dishonored or desecrated in any way. We had right. a flag day at Milford High School one time. We used to call it Force Patriotism Day. Right. And here we are in a government-run school system where our parents are being forced to pay taxes for a school system that didn't exist when the flag was created. To a socialistic Prussian-based government school system, they have us sitting on the bleachers in the gym at Milford High School in New Hampshire, and they're all telling us all these things about the flag. It's like, okay, well, that's fine. What what if we happen to disagree with what the U.S. government is doing now, or we don't like the idea that it's taxing us to this extent? Can't I have an opinion? Somebody in our in our audience, and I know who it was. I won't even mention his name now. He had a flag, and he took the flag out, and he he put it up upside down which is a sign of distress. Distress, yes. Exactly. You should have seen some of the teachers. They flipped out. Yeah. They were so angry, and they didn't expect that the kids would be bright enough to understand and recognize what was going on. Right. They totally, totally under underestimate the intelligence of the kids. Well, I was telling you on one of the breaks that I got in trouble. My teacher sent me to the principal's office in the 10th grade mm-hmm. for refusing to stand up for the Pledge of Allegiance, and he told me I should go to Cuba. Yeah, I love that. That's that's such a great example. Go to Cuba, young woman, because you're not conforming to what we in our socialized government system, school system here, are f- trying to force you to do to recite a pledge written by a progressive socialist, yeah. a Fabian socialist. 
Amazing. It's, it's an unbelievable, it, and they're so ignorant. They have no concept. So here, and, and this, this is actually, this is the personal side of it. The legal side of it is another matter, because they're going to take this to federal court, aren't they, Julia? Yes. And this is what really ticks me off. This is a state law in which state? Uh, Omaha, Nebraska. Nebraska. Okay, lovely Nebraska. Um, okay, so they've got a state law in Nebraska. I get really annoyed when I hear people talking about the First Amendment, and they don't understand the original intent of the founders on the First Amendment. Because, as you and I were discussing off the air, and, and people might disagree, but it's factual. Call us at 800-259-9231 on Free Talk Live if you want to talk about this uh, flag-stomping thing. This is a state law that they have broken, apparently, the flag-stomping law in Nebraska. Now, I think that that, that is a dumb law, but... I think it is also constitutional. She's going to bring this case to federal court, which shows that, unfortunately, she's off base. She should say, you know what? It's not a congressional law. You guys do have this law. I was in the wrong. I'm sorry. I'll go to another state that doesn't have this law. Oh, we've got to take a break. Give us a call. 800-259-9231. It's Free Talk Live. We'll continue talking about this flag-stomping thing. Eh, Julia? Yep. Indeed. Free Talk Live. Interactive is the word in Free Talk Live. I am Gardner. She is... Julia. And we are filling in for Ian and Mark tonight on Free Talk Live this Saturday night. Thank you so much for sticking around and sticking with us. And also thanks to all our advertisers who are in our corner. I really appreciate it. Let's go to the phones and the fun once more. Make it your show by calling us at 800-259-9231. 800-259-9231. All around the country and all around the world on the Internet by going to freetalklive.com. The subject we've been discussing... The subject, ladies and gentlemen, is flag Okay, discuss. Now. No, we're talking about a story out of Nebraska, yes. where a woman who's one of these angry people who went and protested at uh, funerals of, of slain soldiers, which I think is kind of... Right. Well, um, that's one of the lame. reasons I really wanted to bring this story up, was yeah. because this lady, to me, is a total nut job. She's right. one of these Bible bangers, and she, uh, not that everybody who likes the Bible is bad or anything like that, but she's one of these people who hates gays and protests... Uh, the war because mm. the gays are now allowed in the military. Mm. But I wanted to point out that even though I do not stand for what this lady stands for at all, that's what freedom is all about. Yeah. You have to be willing to stand up for other people's freedom if you want freedom yourself. It's the golden rule. Treat others as you would have them treat you. I mean, that is essentially a very simple way to express the, the way that this government was supposed to oper- supposed right. to operate, a very limited government. And and the thing that gets me about this is she's going to the federal courts with this piece of crap lawsuit. And if she would just shut up and recognize that the First Amendment does not stop states from imposing their own speech codes and their own religious codes, I would rather not have the states do those things. But under the Constitution, as the First Amendment is written, it is a proscription against Congress writing any laws infringing the freedom of speech or of the press or the free expression of religion. And until the mid-1800s, there were plenty of speech codes and religious codes on the books. Pennsylvania was a a, a religious state, for God's sake. They had religious schools until the mid-1800s when, oh, gee, guess who it was? Abraham Lincoln took the United States Constitution and used it, as the British would say, as a bog roll, if you know what I mean. 
All right, let's go to the phones right now. Let's go to John, who's on the line in New Hampshire. John wants to talk about flag stomping. Hi, John. How are you? Hey, guys. Great job filling in. Hey, thanks, man. I want to tell you something about the uh, something that I've been thinking about about the flag, and then I want to tell you something about flying it upside down. Interesting story. Yeah. Uh, the thing that's strange lately, I was thinking of uh, when you go into a courtroom, you see that the American flag has gold fringe around it. Yeah. And not only that, the state flag has gold fringe around it. Recently, I heard somebody say that that has meaning to it that they're operating under admiralty law. Yes. Now, I don't know whether that's true or not. Yes, uh, I find I've heard the same thing. I find their use of the flag backed up by a, a, a deception. If, if this is at all true, it's a deception that we're operating under a constitution, both state and federal, hmm. and they're dishonoring that flag by putting a different meaning and backing it up by guns. So I find that much more offensive than somebody doing whatever they want with their own personal flag, and they're not backing it up with guns. Well, you express that really well, John. Figures you're uh, here in the free state. We need more people like you coming up here, buddy. You know, that's an excellent point, the audacity of people to do their own thing with the flag when they're working in government. And, you know, I wouldn't put it past these people, John, to be so ignorant of the difference between the admiralty flag, the, the naval flag, and uh, the regular United States flag that they wouldn't even know. They just think it looks pretty. Let's put it up there. Uh, now, let and, me tell you a story about flying the flag upside down. Yeah. My understanding is that that's a sign of distress. It is. It's a sign of respectfully doing, I suppose, and this is just my own interpretation. I haven't looked this up to see the meaning. But my understanding is that it's kind of a, a respectful way of pleading, as if you will, rather than burning or stomping on it. It is supposed to be just that. I am it. so disgusted with what the federal government's doing to some of my activist friends here in New Hampshire that when we demonstrate out in front of the federal courthouse when they're trying somebody on what I call free the charge against him, I refer to it as it's a, it's a free speech trial. For example, Dave Ridley handing out flyers to IRS agents saying, it's, please it's, don't do this. It's exactly the case where I, I wasn't going to mention the specific case, but not that, that because it didn't matter. Mm -hmm. But that's exactly the case where, on a single poll, just out of my own imaginary symbolism, mm -hmm. I fly two flags. And I'm also carrying a third Don't Tread on Me flag. Good. But on that single pole, I fly the New Hampshire flag above the U.S. flag. Which would probably US... make a lot of people very angry. It sure does, and you'll, and you'll get this in a minute. And so beneath that, I have the U.S. flag, and I have the U.S. flag upside down. And I That's march so... around that building when I'm demonstrating. It's... Now, I... I'm familiar with some of the marshals and the guys that work there, and you know we're on a, uh, you know we're uh, personable towards each other and all. And I went went by, and, and uh, uh, Gary said to me, uh, "You got your flag upside down," and whatever. I told him, you know, what my opinion was, and that I was trying to have a respectful protest. You got your flag upside down, like you don't know, <laughs> right? It's and like so your I flies told him down. That I thought that this was a, a, an attempt at a respectful protest at what's going on inside that building. Right. Now, so I'm, I march up to the other corner, and I'm standing there, and some big guy in a pickup truck, he starts hollering at me, Hey, you! You better fly that flag the way it's supposed to be flying! 
Ignorant. And the funniest thing was, he pulls through the red light and starts driving up the street after he's hollering at me. And once he got on his truck, a big old Confederate flag on the whole back of, back window of his pickup truck. And I said, is this guy confused or what? Wow. <laughs> wow. That's amazing. You know, John, it's, it's incredible the ignorance of some people. And what really gets me is, thank God that guy's not in a position in a public school the way we had that experience in public schools, where the people who saw us with the ups, you know, the upside down reversed American flag, a lot of them didn't even get it. They didn't know what the tradition was for the flying of a flag upside down to show that this United, these United States are in distress. Let me ask you something. Are you familiar with Gene Burns that used to be on in Boston? Oh, yeah. Gene Burns was great. Absolutely. I have to tell you something, my friend. You're on a par with him when it comes to talk radio. Oh, thanks, man. I really appreciate it's, it's it. It's the highest compliment I can pay to somebody in talk radio. You're on a pile with him, my friend. Well, I, uh, thank you. Um, and by the way, I, I'm sorry that last check for the compliments bounced. Okay, John? We'll, okay. We'll get you the next one soon. <laughs> thanks, my friend. Thanks so much for calling in. And uh, Okay, have a nice evening. You got it. Well, hey, Bye. will we see you at Porkfest? I'm planning on being around. I hope so. I'll look for you, John. I'll look okay, for the I'll flags, man. All right. Take care. 800-259-9231 is the way to get in touch with us. I'm Gardner. She is... Julia. And we're filling in for Ian and Mark on Free Talk Live. Hey, I want to uh, get in a little something about the website. You know, as as a person who comes in and steps in, it, that was really nice of John to say because, you know, you're, you're sort of feeling your, your footing on, on somebody else's show and things. I do my own show, and it, or I did my own show, and it has a certain rhythm and, and a certain pace and so on. So, you're like, okay, I don't want to do something that those guys don't do that much. I don't want to do something that they do and try to mimic them. So hopefully the show sounds good and we have good content. But I want to compliment once more Ian and Mark on the Free Talk Live website. If you go to freetalklive.com, please check it out and see some of the amazing things that they've got there. Uh, they've got all sorts of things, including if you go to the site, you'll see the icon for the AMP program. It's for Advertise, Market, and Promote. It's a little icon over there. It looks like a little, uh, almost like a heartbeat. And AMP is a great way that you can show your affiliation and devote uh, affiliation with and devotion to Free Talk Live. And what you do is you sign up. It's about what is it? Three, three, three a bucks month? a month. Yeah, that's less than a latte. Yeah, it's great. For three dollars a month, you can really help Free Talk Live get the money that they need to promote the show and get these sorts of messages and this sort of conversation out to other radio stations to talk to new programming directors and say, hey, here's the content these guys are making. Here's the stuff that their callers are discussing. This is valuable stuff. Let's get out there and get it on more stations. Go to AMP, check it out, and you can uh, you can become a participant. Also, we want to go to the, uh, the bulletin boards as well and tell people about the bulletin boards because there's great participation at the BBS, isn't there, Julia? Right, and it's it's everything from serious topics and discussion to fun stuff. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know, far be it from me to mention it again. I keep going over to the shrine and looking at those women on the shrine. So I really like the fact that the shrine is out there. <laughs> it's a it's a good thing. And if you're not familiar with it, everybody, if you go to freetalklive.com, right, you go to the website. They have the yeah, where is it? Site features. You you take your icon, right? And you put it over site features like, "Oh, what's this? Oh, shrine." And you hit the shrine, and there are all these women, attractive women who have sent in and Julia is in there. You can see her picture if you're interested. Um and and it's a great shot. Um uh, they send their pictures, they get validated, and these are women who believe in the freedom philosophy, which is great. And so therefore you know they're highly intelligent, which is even better. Uh, I don't know, it's it's pretty good both ways. 800 Two five nine nine two three one is a way to get in touch with us, Julia. 
Uh, before we have to finish up this hour, I just want to mention this flag-stomping thing. You know, if this woman were cool, she would say, Hey, I'm not going to bring any sort of suit. I'm getting out of here. Right. I'm moving to New Hampshire. Coming to the free state. Okay, more coming up next hour. It's Free Talk Live, your program, 800-259-9231. With your help, we can spread the message of liberty around the world. Consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier for just $3 a month now at amp.freetalklive.com. If you can't afford it, keep enjoying us for free. If you can spare the three, visit amp.freetalklive.com. Hour number three of Free Talk Live is upon us. 800-259-9231 is the SACL CAI toll-free line. I am Gardner, and she is... Julia. And we're filling in for Ian and Mark tonight. Thank you so much for joining us on this Saturday night. Remember the number, toll-free, 800-259-9231. It's the way to participate and the way to make things fun. It's your show. It's your freedom we're talking about on Free Talk Live, which can be heard Monday through Saturday from 7 to 10 on most stations. And particularly on Saturday nights, it's great to have you along for the ride for this last hour. We've got many things to cover for this last hour. Julia's got a number of subjects. I've got a number of subjects. And, oh, I can't wait to introduce you to my friend, Lord King God, Sir Bob Geldof. Oh, yes. Bob Geldof. He telling us that more money should be taken from us to feed starving Africans as he wears his specially made sunglasses and his specially made shirt and drinks specially made Seltzer water. Sir Lord Bob Geldof, wait to hear this one about the G8 conference. But we have been talking about education with our guest earlier, Neil McCluskey, author of Feds in the Classroom. And then we started talking about flag stomping, which is not a new dance. It's something that in Nebraska is frowned upon. We don't like your flag stomping, you. Stop doing that and take your flag stomping elsewhere. We have a law against that sort of fiddle-faddle, and you're just going to have to go away. So, uh, anyway, we're going to talk about that if you want to. The number is 800-259-9231, or you can introduce a topic you want to discuss. So, let's get into it right now. Let's go to Frank in my former home state of Connecticut. Frank, thanks for talking to us on Free Talk Live. How's it going, man? Oh, very good. Uh, are you uh, watching the judicial uh, reform going on in our state? Uh, oh. And, and the, uh, the fact that our highest Supreme Court judge... Chief Justice Sullivan was uh, found uh, guilty of uh, trying to fix the judicial nominations. No, tell us about that. I'm sure people outside Connecticut would love to hear this, because we've had experiences ourselves with real good justices. Well, uh, essentially, uh, a uh, ruling uh, concerning uh, FOIA uh, was uh, sealed by uh, Chief Justice Sullivan, uh, and a certain uh, nominee that he had in mind to Governor Rell uh, was uh, kept out of the. Uh, uh, it was, it was kept, the ruling was kept out of her uh, sight, uh, so he could nominate this Chief Justice uh, uh, nominate Justice Rell to become Chief Justice. Okay, and is anybody taking any? It. Oh, he got caught. So are the are there possible impeachment uh, talks going on with this guy? Uh, well. Uh, there's been some talk of impeachment, but I doubt very much the Connecticut legislature will follow through with it. But uh, they are having hearings at the legislature on him. But uh, this comes after the, judi- the Judicial uh, Review Council uh, ruled uh, on his guilt. 
but they just mm. gave him a, you know, a slap on a the slap wrist. slap on the wrist. You know, we had something like that, Frank, in New Hampshire a number of years ago. It was almost 10 years ago. They had this impeachment proceeding against uh, uh, the Supreme Court, the head of the Supreme Court, the Chief Justice. His name was David Brock. And uh, there was there was some uh, inner workings about a case where uh, there were divorce proceedings and one of the justices it was actually his divorce and a man should have been recused. And uh, it was just ridiculous. And so this guy, Brock, was impeached and they were successful doing it. Yeah. Well, the amazing thing is that after they voted to impeach this guy in the House of Representatives, some of the legislators, these people had the gall to say, oh, it's so sad that he's going to be leaving. He's only four months away from his retirement and his pension. And they wanted to vote to give the guy his pension. Can you believe it? Scratching each other's backs like I, they always do. I, I couldn't believe it. We yeah. actually had, oh, it was stunning. We had uh, the Speaker of our House, Donna Sytek, who should not have been in that position in any stretch of the imagination. She was so unequipped to be in that position as a Speaker of a House. She was so unfamiliar with natural rights philosophy or our Constitution. She should have just you know, been out flipping burgers instead at some you know, fast food joint. She would have been doing people a better service. She's she's lobbying to give this guy his money when it was by his own actions that they had determined he should have been removed from office. Well, the question is, is how uh, how do you uh, conduct a proper change at the legislative level? Yeah, now, I, I mean, uh, I, I believe you had a caller before, uh, Bob Bob yeah. Bertrand, mm -hmm. and uh, he's uh, his thing is to. Um, you know, don't vote for for lawyers. I'm sure you've heard his uh, <laughs> well, his line. You know, but, I, um, yeah. Uh, and I and I've argued with him. You know, uh, that that's a great idea, but it just takes so many years. And uh, why can't uh, court cases uh, uh, be able to uh, bring up uh, constitutional issues and uh, be able to help uh, uh, change and reform law? That's one of the questions I have in a, in a case I'm involved with, which I won't talk about. Okay. And. Um, but one thing that's good that happened with the uh, Sullivan affair is that the legislature uh, did put through a bill mm -hmm. uh, to oversee all judicial rules well, um, that's um, or make it stronger. And there's a few other things happening. But on the other ha hand, there's a lot of whitewashing going on. Well, you know, I that's... myself uh, put in a bill through the, uh, uh, through the, uh, uh, to the Connecticut legislature. Representative O'Neill sponsored it. Uh, to uh, replicate uh, what's happening at uh, Congress, H.R. Uh, 5219, the installation of an inspector general of the judiciary. Mm -hmm. And uh, I took that bill and I cloned it uh, and uh, modified it a little bit. And I uh, entered it uh, into the Connecticut legislature, and, and they just uh, dropped it. Well, know, of course, know. Frank, what it does is, you know, I'm, I'm go, I would go back to uh, the general problem that we have with government itself. And, uh, you know, it seems like no matter what sort of hurdles or barriers you put up to try to stop this or slow this down, you get a slow blurring of the laws, a slow, the enfranchised, the the... The, uh, the, the, the people with the special interests are going to find ways to manipulate the system, whether they're attorneys and they're on the bar in Connecticut or they're legislators and they're getting money from the NEA. They're going to find ways to expand government to make it less addressable. And you might have gotten a little victory there. It sounds interesting, but, you know, I wouldn't count on it, which leads me back to my, you know, free marketeer anarchist view, which is I wish we could just do this through the marketplace and get government the heck out of the way.
Hey, thanks a lot for the call, Frank. I really well, appreciate it. Thank you very much. You got it in. Hey, you know, Julie, I wanted to mention something, too. And, and while we have the opportunity to do this, there's something very important. We started the show talking about this New Hampshire court case with John Lynch trying to kowtow to a totally fictitious Supreme Court ruling that says there is a right to education codified in the state constitution. And I would love to challenge any of those justices to some sort of a debate because we would destroy them easily, very, very quickly. And there is no doubt it's 100 percent we would wipe them out. But here's the interesting thing about it. Many people don't understand why it is that the legislature, they always say, oh, we have co-equal branches of government. If we're going to talk about the, the limited government level, we'll get into the anarchist side of it and the free market side of it later. But if we're talking about limited government on the state level, maybe in Connecticut, New Hampshire, the United States, why is it that people always say we have co-equal branches? They are wrong. We don't have co-equal branches. The legislature is the most powerful branch, and the reason they are is because, recognizably, they have the impeachment power. They can remove the other branches, and we can remove the legislature. Well, it sounds nice in government history class in 10th grade. Right, right, exactly. But, but they don't tell you. They always tell, it's co- they always tell you that it's co-equal. And the reason that the legislature has the power to remove not only the executive, but the members of the judiciary in most states, including New Hampshire, is this. Many people think that if a Supreme Court rules that a law is unconstitutional, it takes the law off the books, which is false. The law still stands. It's just that on appeal, no prosecutors will prosecute those laws because they know on appeal it will be appealed back to the final appellate body, which is what we're supposed to be talking about, the Supreme Court. And with the same members aboard... They know that the court would find the plaintiff, the defendant, not guilty. So, for example, if you have a situation where the court rules that the local portion of your education tax on your property taxes in your town is unconstitutional because it's supposed to be a state tax and you withhold your local property taxes in your town, the prosecutors won't prosecute you because they'll know that it'll go back up to the Supreme Court and they'll find you not guilty, which is why the legislature is supposed to remove the court to reset the balance. It's like rebooting the government system. Nobody gets that. We'll return. 800-259-9231. And when we do, we've got a great story coming up about Bob Geldof. And Julia's got one ready for you, too. We'll return. Free Talk Live. The program doesn't stop. It takes a pause, but it continues. It's Free Talk Live at freetalklive.com. Also, you can find us on your, hopefully, your local radio station. And we're going to be trying to expand that much more through Ian and Mark and their efforts. I'm Gardner Goldsmith filling in for Ian and Mark and along with... Julia. And we are ready to take your calls at 800-259-9231 all across the country, all across the world through the interweb thing. That series of tubes... As Ted Stevens, who's so familiar with the Internet, might say, remember, he's the guy who's in charge of the committee in the Senate of Washington, D.C., to regulate the Internet, and he didn't even know what an email was. He said, I received one of these Internets the other day. He meant an email. That's government for you. They do things so efficiently, isn't it? Wonderful to think about all the great things they do with our money and our time. Like, for example, trying to apprehend people who are 
only affecting themselves. For example, those who take drugs. Wouldn't it be great to have an ex-narcotics officer be your personal coach to keep you from getting busted if you happen to have some of that marijuana stuff? Go to NeverGetBusted.com. That's NeverGetBusted.com to view clips of the recently released DVD that has gained world attention. It's NeverGetBusted.com. Check it out. They've got some very interesting tips. Now, um, we have a couple things that we can do before we go. And uh, in this segment, I'm going to I'm gonna tantalize and tease before I get to the Bob Geldof thing. We're going to do that in the next segment. But, Julia, you had another story about Vermont, and I love this story. Tell us about this. Vermont, it's about Vermont secession. And the reason I wanted to talk about this tonight was because... I just feel like the federal government is so large and out of control. I do not see the problem being solved anytime soon. It's such a big mess. I think that the only solution is secession. And I would like to see New Hampshire secede first, Mm. but I also would like to see other states secede because if one person does it, then perhaps they'll give other states who have been considering it, or at least there's groups in certain states who have or are lobbying for it or, or trying to achieve that, to have the courage to do it themselves. And then we could see sort of a domino effect of states pulling out of the Union. It would be an amazing thing to see. And uh, it's incredible that Vermont is doing it, one of the most socialized states in the nation. Well, that's what's so funny about it, because in California, too, and Hawaii, there's secession movements, and those are some of the most socialist states in the Union. Yeah, it's very, very strange. And uh, the story cropped up, and I want to thank Wayne, uh, who's often here during the week, I believe on Wednesdays. Wayne forwarded me this message, and uh, I got to see the article, and I would not have seen it if it hadn't been for Wayne. You were on top of it yourself, Julia. That's right. uh, I compliment you, but I wasn't on this. So I did get to see it thanks to Wayne, and then afterwards I spoke to you, and you had seen this article too. So tell us about what's going on in Vermont. All right, this from Montpelier. At Riverwalk Records, the all-vinyl record store just down the street from the state capitol, the black U.S. out of Vermont t-shirts are among the hottest sellers. But to some people in Vermont, the idea is bigger than just a $20 novelty. They want Vermont to secede from the United States, peacefully, of course. Disillusioned by what they call an empire about to fail, a small cadre cadre of writers and academics is plotting political strategy and planting the seeds of separatism. They've published a Green Mountain Manifesto, subtitled, Why and How Tiny Vermont Might Help Save America from Itself by Seceding from the Union. They hope to put the question before citizens at town meeting day next March, eventually persuading the state legislature to declare independence, returning Vermont to the status it held from 1777 to 1791. Whether it's likely is another question. But the idea has found plenty of sympathetic ears in Vermont, a left-leaning state that says yes to civil unions, no to slavery before any other, and last year elected a socialist to the U.S. Senate. About 300 people turned out for the 2005 secession convention in the state house, and plans for a second one are in the works. A poll this year by the, the University of Vermont's Center for Rural Studies found that 13% of those surveyed support secession, up from 8% a year before. The argument for secession is that the United States has become an empire that is essentially ungovernable. It's too big, it's too corrupt, and it no longer serves the needs of its citizens, said Rob Williams, editor of Vermont Commons, a quarterly newspaper dedicated to secession. Congress and the executive branch are being run by the multinationals. We have electoral fraud, rampant corporate corruption, a culture of milita- milita- militarism and war, 
If you care about democracy and self-governance of any kind of representative system, the only constitutional way to preserve what's left of the republic is to peacefully take apart the empire. Wow. You know, um, I know there's probably a little bit more left in the piece, but I just just have to say, what if Abraham Lincoln heard somebody saying saying something like this? Well... Didn't he hear people saying stuff like this? And yeah. he didn't like it too much. He didn't like it, did he? No. Nope. Please continue. I, I love it. It's great. Such movements have a long history. Key West, Florida staged a mock secession from America in the eight, 1980s. The town of Killington, Vermont, tried to break away and join New Hampshire in 2004. That was actually funny because New Hampshire said they could if Vermont said it was okay. Yeah, if I'm yeah they were, we were ready. To, they were having meetings yeah. and everything was great. Hawaii, Alaska, New Hampshire, South Carolina, and Texas all have some form of secession organizations today. The Vermont movement, which is, be, which is being pushed by several different groups, has been bubbling up for years, but has gained new traction in the wake of the disenchantment over the Iraq War, rising oil prices, and the formation of pro-secession groups. Anything else? Yeah, I'm sorry. It was switching pages and going slow. Oh, no problem. No problem. Uh, there's a comment in that article somewhere by somebody, I think, from like the Brookings Institute or something like that, where he says, well, that was pretty much, uh, that was a debate that was pretty much answered by uh, uh, Abraham Lincoln. Yeah, the Civil War pretty much did that. It's like, oh, really? Well, maybe the answer was wrong. I don't understand why it is that if you voluntarily enter into a union, oh, for example, like, oh, a marriage that uh, the only way to keep a union together is by force of arms. I'm confused by that. It's very interesting. Right. Well, I, if I'm not mistaken, when the states entered the union, they were under the impression that they could leave at any time. That's, that's the idea. In fact, many people are unaware, and it strikes me as odd that people are unaware, that there were secession movements prior to the Civil War, and they didn't have any problem with them. It wasn't as if politicians like Abraham Lincoln, who was a congressman at that time, or it might have been just before he ran for Congress, were speaking out saying, no, you can't leave this union. You're chained to it like a ball and chain. You've got to stay. Of course, he couldn't couldn't allow the South to secede because the North was taking advantage of a great deal of tariff money that the South had to pay for products that they were getting because the northern congressmen and Abraham Lincoln were all in favor of tariffs. The South wanted to leave. They didn't want to attack the North. Right. And, and the the thing that really bugs me is when you talk about secession, everybody says, oh, well, you know, that debate's over. Abraham Lincoln completed that debate. It's like, well, what does that tell you about Abraham Lincoln completing the debate at the the point of a gun or, right. you know, thousands and millions of guns that killed thousands and thousands and thousands of people in the Civil War. What's really sad is that most people think that the Civil War was actually about slavery. It, it wasn't. Was not. It was all about states' rights. Exactly. Abraham Lincoln, when he issued the Emancipation Proclamation, issued it only in the area where he couldn't issue it, which was the rebellious South. He didn't free the slaves in the North. The guy was perfidious. We'll return. we got to take a break. 800-259-9231. Check out the people backing us up at Free Talk Live. Eight 
800-259-9231. It's the SACL CAI toll-free way to get in touch with us here at Free Talk Live. I'm Gardner. She's... Julia. And we are filling in for Ian and Mark on Free Talk Live. Call us and become part of the program. Join the fun and... Join in the debate as well. We've been talking about a number of big issues that uh, you know we find very important, and you might have some on your mind as well. So you can bring them up uh, very easily. And we want to bring something up to you that helps the program. Julia, you wanted to uh, mention that to everybody, right? Yeah, that's right. If you like what you're hearing and you want to help spread Free Talk Live, yeah. please go to vote.freetalklive.com and place a vote. It only takes a minute, and there's no spam or anything like that. All you need is an email address, and it... We're constantly in the the top ten podcasts on Podcast Alley out of thousands of podcasts, and it really does help get new listeners to the show. So it's vote.freetalklive.com. That's right. We're all, we're number one right now, but we're only winning by five votes. So so if you if you got a second, go out and vote. Get your friends to vote. Awesome. Let's let's keep us in number That's one. A great idea. Vote.freetalklive.com. And, uh, of course, if you go to the website, there are ways to get over there. But if you remember that, please do so. And uh, keep Free Talk Live right up there at the top for podcasts. Okay. Let's go to the phones and the fun once more and uh, talk a little bit about what Troy wants to discuss. Troy's in... Actually, we got John in Montana oh, yeah, John. first. John Sorry, first. Troy. Montana, Session. Hi, John. How are you? Uh, yes. Hello. Um, about the succession thing, I, I think that... The whole point of that is, is you're trying to press a point of some kind of, not a rebellion, but a change. We need a change, and we need some stark thing that people can rally behind. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the most, it's like Alex Jones and the 9-11 thing. Everybody's, what we need is one thing that everybody can rally behind. It's looking like uh, it might be the um, immigrant or the, uh, uh, the Mexican thing. Border thing seems to be the thing that is everybody is more uh, in tune to. Yeah, so if you yeah. Could, you could find something with that to rally uh, the cause of uh, government being basically uh, <laughs> wrong yeah. in, in quite a few things. Uh, but people just can't, they can't wrap their hands around it. Well, you know, that it's, it's, it's interesting you should bring that up, John, because uh, obviously uh, we here at Free Talk Live, I think all of us and many of the people in the audience, are uh, really frustrated by the immigration issue, not because, of, not for the same reasons that many of the Republicans, the disenfranchised conservatives, are having with their own party. That is destroying the Republican Party right now, and uh, for good reason. You know, the Republican Party isn't listening to the people who have supported it for so long. They think that they can uh, manipulate. I don't know if you saw the story. I know I'm going to get a little far astray, but. My family constantly used to get phone calls from the Republican Senatorial Committee and the Republican Congressional Campaign Committee trying to raise funds. Just last week, they announced that they were shutting down their phone banks. And they said that, oh, it was a technical problem, that their phone banks were outdated. No, it wasn't a technical problem. They weren't getting any money because the conservative Republicans are sick and tired of the Republicans not doing something about an issue they find very important, which is the immigration issue and how they want to make sure that the borders are sealed off and immigrants aren't coming in and they think they're so expensive to us and so on and so forth. So, Frank, that might be – I mean, John, that might be a, a, a catalyst, a catalytic issue. Unfortunately, I believe the constitutional way to look at it and the economic way to look at it is 
A, constitutionally, it is not a federal purview. There's nothing in the federal constitution that gives the federal government any power over immigration in any states except the original 13 colonies. It's a very interesting uh, portion of it, and I'll, I'll post something over at the Liberty Conspiracy website so people can see some of this information. Thomas Jefferson said it's a state issue, and if people recognize that it was a state issue, these conservatives, supposed conservatives who don't like the federal government getting messing around with all these different uh, different policies because they know that it does such an inefficient and bad job, why don't they let the states decide the way the founders wanted it to be? They don't do it. I think it's a great disservice to people to, who confuse naturalization, which is a federal purview, with immigration, which is not a federal purview. But I understand the frustration. I know I'm walking a little bit here, John, but I wanted to give you an opportunity to continue. Well, no, it's a good point uh, that um, it's a state versus federal, and that that is a good good thing because that, that's what they have to. What we have to do is get the federal people out of controlling our lives and get yeah. more to the the people where where we have more a, a chance of electing people in the state than we do in, in the federal government. Yeah. And, and then we then we can maybe have some say. But. Yeah, look at look at all these local authorities, John, who have apprehended people here in New Hampshire, in Jaffrey, and there's another guy in Hudson. These police officers who've apprehended people based on the federal laws they thought they were supporting, and then the guys that they arrested are gone. Now, on an economic level, I want unrestricted immigration. I think a lot of people. It, Pat Buchanan was being very disingenuous. I thought after 9/11 came around, he said. Yeah, well, my friends, I was warning everyone about these immigrants, and we had to stop them before this 9-11 thing happened. It's like, hey, Pat, you weren't talking about national security on immigration. You were talking about losing American jobs. And and what we see is that immigrants bring in lower-price wage labor, which allows more money to be freed up, which allows us to be more productive. Why do we want to have to spend more money to get the products we want? That's not that's not what a productive economy is all about. And yet over and over you hear conservatives, conservatives are saying, well, these companies don't want to charge good wages. No, the companies would love to charge, uh, love to pay higher wages, but the products they're making don't demand enough from the consumers to be able to pay the wages. So they hire people who can do the work so that the customers will continue buying, say, the apples at X, X number of pennies per pound or watermelons. That's the way it works. It's all customer-consumer driven. And the conservatives do not wake up to the economic reality that you can see at places like FEE.org and, and Mises.org, real free market institutions of economics. It's a basic axiom, and they don't get it. Well, that, that's an interesting point in itself that uh, you're, you're saying uh, it's basically I'm saying jobs versus how much people have to pay for a product. Yeah. And supposedly, if you hire a, a cheaper person, the products will be cheaper. But then you're losing the job. Yeah, but and see, but see, the thing is, uh, it, for example, uh, it's the same thing with trying to stop less expensive foreign products from coming into the United States. Why do we want to have to spend an extra dollar, dollar fifty for an American-made shirt when we can get a Mexican-made shirt for less, and we have that extra dollar or dollar fifty saved up, which then allows us to go spend it on a new startup product. It's the same thing with automation. They always, everybody would say, oh, we don't want automation because jobs will be lost. But if we can automate 
and get products for less, it gives us more expendable capital, more liquidity to invest in new startup businesses. Otherwise, we retard the progress of the economy. And you can't do that. And that's the thing that drives me nuts. It's like the conservatives should be the first people next to libertarians who understand the dynamics of the free market economy. And yet they never do that. They're going populist on us the way Pat Buchanan did. And I don't like it. It bugs me. Well, you got some good points, but you're going to have to realize there's going to be, oh, God, I don't know, the masses are going to always be uneducated, yeah. not be able to do higher education uh, business things. And so they, they're going to be, you know, grunt work, basically. Mm-hmm. And, and you're just you're going to have to find jobs for those people. Well, that's because they go to government schools, and that's what government <laughs> schools turn out, workers. <laughs> I don't know who's doing it. Well, John, <laughs> one, one final thing. One final thing, John, before we move on to Troy sure. in Canada. Um, uh, first of all, thank you very much for calling, especially uh, for us filling in. It's been a real pleasure to be able to fill in for Ian and Mark, and I, I well, you're appreciate doing a good it. Job. Well, thank you. I appreciate it very much. Um, but you know, uh, it's it's quite interesting when you look at the economic argument of it, and you, you think about what some of the conservative folks have been saying, and you know, I I. I understand what people are saying about the welfare state and how expensive it is that so many of these illegal immigrants and legal immigrants get on the welfare state. But uh, I, I have heard people say, well, you know, that's only for Americans, as if somehow the taking of somebody else's property and the handing off of it to someone else is acceptable if you're American and unacceptable if you're foreign. You can't do that if you're foreign, but it's okay if we're American. How about we get rid of the welfare state entirely? Hey, we got to take a break. We will Thanks. return. Thank you so much for the call, John. Appreciate it. 800-259-9231. It's Free Talk Live, your program. We'll be back with Troy in Canada and you. Coming up. Free Talk Live continues. The phone number, 800-259-9231, 800-259-9231. Go to freetalklive.com. We're up against the clock. I am Gardner filling in for Ian, and she is. Julia. And she has something she wants to tell us. That's right. Do you know if your hard-earned, asset, your hard-earned wealth is at risk? If you have a business, there is one in three chances that you will be named in a lawsuit next year. Mm. That lawsuit could destroy your business and leave you penniless. At KeepYourAssets.net, they are experts in sheltering what you have earned. Go to KeepYourAssets.net and take their asset pre- take their asset protection crash course today. Sorry, I'm a little cross-eyed there for a minute. No problem. So it is a good idea to head on over there. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. And uh, thanks to everybody for participating as well. I'm really glad that I have an opportunity to fill in for these guys who do great work. Go to freetalklive.com. Uh, uh, well, I want to put another plug in for uh, the Liberty Conspiracy. It's libertyconspiracy.com if you get a chance to go over there. Okay, now, uh, want to take uh, one more call real quick. Troy's been waiting uh, patiently in Canada, and we'll try to get to Josh in Texas as well. Troy, you're on Free Talk Live. Thank you very much for waiting and for your call. How are you, sir? Very good, very good. I just wanted to mention that uh, Tucker Carlson, yeah. um, I found him on YouTube there. He interviewed Ron Paul a couple times. Yeah, Mr. And, uh, Mr. Bowtie with Ron Paul. Yeah, I had no idea. Like he, I had no idea he was a libertarian, and he said he voted for Ron Paul when he ran for president. Awesome. Before. Awesome. I thought Tucker was more sort of a traditional conservative, but he's saying he's a libertarian. That's fantastic to well, know. Well, I'm not sure if he used said he was a libertarian, but he did vote for Ron Paul. Fantastic. Awesome. Wow. So that's great news that uh, obviously, you know, more of a mainstream guy is, is uh, promoting 
Yeah. Well, Paul there. Yeah, and I say, hey, more power to Tucker Carlson. Send send him some positive thoughts. I'm going to see if I can find a way to get in touch with him and thank him for bringing Ron Paul on. The more people yeah. who get positive feedback, the more they'll bring him back. That's fantastic. Thanks for the... Hey, Troy, where are you in Canada, by the way, man? Uh, Saskatchewan. Saskatchewan. Wow. I had a friend who used to uh, come from Oshawa, and I lived in Vancouver for about six months working on uh, the TV show The Outer Limits. Canada is a... As a fine country in many respects, you do you do very well yeah. out there, man. Unfortunately, we're in Afghanistan now, so you know we're not perfect. So I know oh, what you're talking about. Thanks for okay. the call, man. I'll Appreciate it. it. You got it. And uh, let's go to Josh, who's in Texas, wants to talk about education. Hi, Josh, and thank you. Welcome. How are you? Hi, hey, I'm doing good. What can we do for you tonight, sir? Uh, well, I, I had a comment, kind of about your first guest about the the feds in the classroom deal. Yeah, Neil McCluskey in his book, Feds in the Classroom. Yeah. yeah. Um, even though he's not here, I, I wanted to ask him, or maybe ask you, you sounded like you knew something about it, if you had uh, heard of the work of someone... Uh... Oh, shoot, we lost him. Bummer. Josh, see if you can call us back. We'll see if we can get you on. The producers will try to get you right back. It's 800-259-9231. We lost Josh. We'll try to get him back right when he was going to mention the name, and I could have queued off it. That's funny, Julia. Hey, listen, Julia, while we're waiting and seeing if Josh can call us back, and Josh, I, I apologize so much for losing the call there. I uh, don't want to be effusive, but I uh, really would love to get you back before we close off the show. Let's tell people about the wonderful Sir Lord God King Bob Geldof. You know, the Boomtown Ratsman who can't stand, he really dislikes Mondays. Well, Sir Lord Bob Geldof was upset. He and Bono, who hasn't been interesting since they released uh, War, what was that, 20 years ago? The minute you two met Brian Eno, it was over. For the unforgivable fire and the, you know, the Joshua Twig or whatever that stupid hunk of plastic was. What a piece of crap that thing is. You two, boring. But uh, the first couple albums were really good. Well, the G8 Summit ended yesterday. Here's the report from David Blair of the Telegraph.co.uk. Dateline, Kulingsborn. David Blair reports the G8 Summit ended yesterday with world leaders pledging to spend $30 billion on fighting AIDS, malaria, and tuberculosis in stressing their determination to help Africa. Let's go to the newsreel footage. The world's richest countries have promised more billions for Africa at the end of the G8 summit. If it sounds familiar, it is. Just two years ago, the same leaders promised to make poverty history. If we actually put the money we say we're going to put through aid and give primary education to young people in Africa, think of the change that will be. Well, they've offered $60 billion to fight AIDS, TB and malaria this time around. And they said they'd renew their commitment to sorting out Africa's problems. But campaigners have reacted with disappointment and disbelief. They say the G8 was already failing to deliver on its previous promises. This was how Tony Blair sold the summit deal. I think the important thing is that all the things that, that we committed to at, at Glen Eagles two years ago have been recommitted. It shows that um, Africa will continue to be right at the top of the agenda. And although there was obviously on both sides, both on our side and the Africans, a desire for a lot more to be done, I think there was also recognition there had been enormous progress made. But that wasn't good enough for the man who made Live 8 happen, Sir Bob Geldof. And the communique is laughable. I mean, genuinely laughable. I mean, its language is ridiculous. It's meant to obscure the fact that they achieved nothing. And um, by achieving nothing, of course, they've condemned uh, millions of people to the worst excesses of extreme poverty. Okay, I've had enough of I mean, I mean... Mr. Erudite Bob Geldof. You know, this guy has some, some very fine intentions. 
But you don't solve the problem of world hunger by perpetually increasing world theft. Majority sanctioned theft does not... Well, that was my first thought was, wait, why do I have to help Africa? I, I live in I America. You know, it, it's, it's incredible that these people who were supposedly the anti-authoritarians, Bob Geldof and all these rockers like Bono and all these people, they're the ultimate authoritarians. These people who came out of the 60s, these guys are more in the, you know, the punk era and stuff, but I thought maybe with the punks there would be something different. Maybe they would recognize that their utopian socialist ideals weren't going to operate because human beings are individuals. They are not parts of collectives. And even if they were to join parts of collectives, they're still individuals who compose the collectives. It's part of logic. It's a logic train, Bob. And so the deal with these guys is they're complaining that we're not getting our money taken enough and handed over to these people that somehow, if there isn't more theft, people are being condemned to starvation, death by starvation, because some of us aren't giving up enough money? Well, they're helping people, okay? Cut them a break. It's, it's, it's just disgusting. I, this Bob Geldof, and, and here's a guy, and as I mentioned at the beginning of the program, the number is 800-259-9231 at Free Talk Live. This is Gardner filling in for Ian, along with... Julia. The lovely and affable Julia. Um, you know, this, this is a guy, Bob Geldof, who's wearing a gold chain, has designer sunglasses, and in the photograph at telegraph.co.uk is sitting there with specially bottled water in a, in a very nice and probably very expensive shirt. Now, before I would force any of my neighbors to do anything, I would tie that guy down and take every penny of what he's got and give it to whomever I want to have my money. How about that, Bob? Hey, how about we get organized, organized force to take money from whomever I want, Bob? And give it all to Free Talk Live. That's right. Maybe those people deserve it. Oh, but I see. You're working for what's good. You're trying to save people's lives. You don't do good by doing evil first. It doesn't work that way. And taxation to support the G8 is evil. That reminds me of a quote. It's not exactly the same, but it does have to do with stealing. We had an eminent domain here locally, Mm. and there was actually one politician who had the nerve to say, eminent domain is not only stealing, it's giving too. (laughs) Oh, man. You gotta be kidding me! What? A, Where what? do these people come from? Are they spawned from some bizarre agar dish in a sixth-grade science class? <laughs> hey, look, I made another politician. What is it with these? Oh, man, you know this is one of. The, I'm actually, I'm really glad I'm at Free Talk Live because if I was on my own show, what it, what, it, what ends up happening in talk radio is you end up getting really angry and and negative because there's so much stuff. It, it, they're they're trying to get you every way they can. They're yeah. trying to get you, and uh, some of them don't even realize it. They think it's perfectly acceptable, and and Bob Geldof think it's thinks it's perfectly acceptable to criticize these people who are operating by force, by majority sanctioned theft, to say that they are reprehensible for not stealing more from the people who elected them, and Amazing. many of them who did not. It's just it's incredible. It's just totally beyond the pale. Bob Geldof, man, I wish I owned a Boomtown Rats record so I could smash it between my teeth and bleed because I was so angry. But I have better taste than owning any, any records by the Boomtown stinking rats. <laughs> oh, man. I don't even think I have any U2 discs. 
I know no, I don't. No, I have some of their records on vinyl back when they had October, and uh, and boy, those are pretty good. You know, like I threw a brick through a window, that sort of thing. Anyway, just it's incredible. You can find the story elsewhere, but I'll ask you a question. Uh, first of all, here's the philosophical question. Is theft ever excusable? For example, if you were in a situation, this is a totally abstract question. If you were in a situation where you had someone starving, would you make a choice to steal from someone to give food to that starving person? No. We'll leave that question. I would not. We'll leave that question to you. Julia, thank you so much. It's been great. Yes. Yes, it has. Awesome. Really awesome. We Go should to... t- get rid of them more often. <laughs> we'll take the tape off their, their mouths and bring it back. Monday on Free Talk Live. Thanks so much for being part of the program. Julia, awesome. DVD, books, music, instruments, periodicals, computers, software, electronics, photo, cell phone, office products, home and garden, bed and bath, furniture, kitchen, pet supplies, automotive, hardware, apparel, shoes, jewelry, grocery, healthcare, sports and outdoors, toys, games, used and more. It's a department store at your fingertips. Amazon.freetalklive.com. Get all your shopping done, a great deal, delivery to your door, and a percentage of your purchase will go to Free Talk Live when you enter Amazon through Amazon.freetalklive.com. 